God bless you. Well, God bless you. Are you all doing good? You're going to do better, though, after today. And so it, 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 I want to thank Pastor Derek and, and his wife, Angela. We had a great breakfast together, Angie, uh, and uh, we enjoyed their heart. I mean, they are supernaturally called. After Derek told me how he got called to the ministry, I thought, Sonia and I, we got in our car and said, now that's a called couple. There's a few times I preached in a few churches that you wonder, did, they, did God really call them or not? I'm not too sure. We won't question them, though. But anyway... Uh, if you belong to this church, you are absolutely blessed to have such an outstanding pastor and his wife who really love God, who are really called to the Lord. And, and so uh, I really encourage you. And those who are looking for a home church, if, you're, if you haven't found one, I, I really pr ask you to prayerfully consider being part of this church. It's a great church. Think about it. If you like me, they invited me. That's one point in their favor. So anyway, it's great to have all of you here. Uh, I do want to introduce my beautiful wife, Sonia Brown. Is she gorgeous? My one and only love. Yes. And uh, been married all my life. Uh, oh, not all my life. I felt like it's all my No, I shouldn't say that either. But anyway, it's great, great to have her with me. Uh, she doesn't always travel. She travels maybe 50% of the time with me uh, on different uh, preaching engagement, but this time we came because we wanted to celebrate my son Justin's birthday. He turns 25. There he is in the back with his brand new bride. Would you both stand up? Come on, Justin and Christine. He's a first lieutenant in the Air Force, and he just got word today. It's official. He's going to be a captain next year, so he's going to get promoted. And uh, my daughter, of course, uh, Faith Brown, I might as well mention her. Uh, she actually works for our ministry part-time. She goes to college still, but she does all of my editing. Uh, I taught her how to edit, but then she got better and, uh, than I did, and I just didn't have time to edit. Can you imagine? I'm preaching, and then I would have to sit down and hear me again. Now, I know I'm a good preacher, according to a lot of folks, but I still don't like to hear myself. You know, you just, you just don't get it. But anyway... So she takes over, and she's been doing a great job, and so I love my, my kids. And then I have one other son who's not with us because he's going to Bible college at, in Australia at Hillsong Bible College. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to have all my children all serving the Lord. They all love the Lord, and uh, so it's great to, that's the best blessing of all, having all your kids serving God. Well, let's all stand up. Stretch a little bit. Are we ready? I always like to start off with something funny. All right? There was a drunk going through the woods when all of a sudden he came to a pastor baptizing some folks. He decided just to walk right into the water and he bumped into the pastor. The pastor, pastor turned around and could smell all this alcohol on him. He looked to that man and said, Hey, brother, do you want to find Jesus? The drunk said, yeah, I want to find Jesus. Okay, he took him and baptized him in water, pulled him out and said, did you find Jesus? The drunk looked and said, nope, didn't find Jesus. Well, the preacher was a little upset, so he decided to dunk him, but a little bit longer this time. He pulled him out and said, now, brother, have you found Jesus? The drunk said, nope, still didn't find Jesus. Now, the pastor's perturbed. He decides he's going to really dunk him. He dunks him in for over a minute. That drunk is trying to grab out to get out under the water. He's about to die, he thinks. And just in the nick of time, the pastor pulls him up. And the drunk, <laughs> and the pastor said, now, brother, did you find Jesus? And the drunk said, are you, are you sure he fell in here? All right. How many, how many of y'all brought your Bibles, lift them up real high? You got them? That could be electronic Bibles or your Bibles on your cell phones, okay? Just have them on mute, okay? <laughs> Say this out loud. Say, this is my Bible. It is the Word of God. I believe in it from Genesis to Revelation. I am who it says I am. 
I can do what it says I can do. And I have what it says I have. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. And my cell phone is off. I shall be taught the word of God today. And I will never be the same again. You hear that devil? I will never, ever, ever be the same again. Turn to someone right next to you. Look him straight in the eye and say, did you hear that, beloved? I will never, ever, ever be the same again. Well, God bless you. You look great today. If you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And now, gracious Heavenly Father, please, at this moment... Anoint me to be able to share this word in a clear and understandable manner. But have the Holy Spirit take my words and apply it to the hearts of all the people that are here. Many that are listening by CD as well. I do ask, Lord, that you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following it. And I thank you, Father God, for the freedom that we have in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that they're going to experience that freedom tonight. And we pray all of this. In the matchless name of Jesus, and everyone said, Second Corinthians chapter 11, I want us to start with um, verse 3. But I am afraid, now stop for a moment, who's writing this? The great apostle Paul, who faced lions and bandits, who, were, who was whipped, went into prison, he experienced incredible difficulty in his life and yet he did this without being afraid but right now there's something that's happening that's making Paul's heart beat a little bit faster his palms are getting a bit sweaty perspirations coming down his brow as he begins to pin this because he understands what he's about to write and he is afraid of something so when this man talks about fear, we have to pay attention to what is making him so afraid. And here it is. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Eve. What kind of state was Eve in? She was in a state of innocence. I want you to think for a moment. Eve had never experienced a divorce. She never was abused by her father or mother. She never was cheated on by her husband. She never had the temptations that you and I face on a daily basis. She lived in a pure paradise, a place where God's presence filled her. And yet, this woman, who never knew sin, was deceived. Deceived by whom? Not just anyone, but the serpent's cunning. The serpent, the Bible tells us, was the devil himself. We find that in Revelation chapter 12. That Satan is called that ancient serpent. So this is a picture of the devil himself. And he's telling us that just as the devil was able to deceive Eve, he's also concerned that that same devil is going to deceive his own people, God's own people. And instead of the people being devoted and wholly committed to Christ, they would be led astray from that sincere and pure devotion. So he's writing this, and, and, and I think this, that if Eve, in a state of innocence, in a paradise, could be deceived, then how much more could we, who live in a fallen world, where temptation abounds left and right, we have certain life experiences, many of us have been abused, neglected, hurt, we've been through a lot of problems in life, a lot of things that can harden a person, a lot of things that could pull people away from God. How many of y'all would agree there's more things now to pull us away from God than what Eve had? So what Paul is saying is if it can happen to Eve, it can happen to anyone. 
In fact, the Bible says, be careful that you boast that you stand firm lest you fall. There's clear warnings in Scripture that we're living in the last days. And according to the Scriptures, the last days is going to be marked by terrible times. And the terrible times he's referring to isn't, you know, uh, some of the times we think. He's referring to moral times. He's saying there's going to be a times coming where, when children are going to actually rebel against their parents. And there's going to be people, mothers, who's not going to have affection for their children. And there's going to be people who's actually going to love money more than they love God. Can you believe it? He's saying there's going to be this terrible times, but he's talking about moral times. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 24. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. You know, uh, I wish he didn't say that, but he did. Because Jesus is telling the truth. He, see, we live in a day where there's wickedness that's on the increase. All you have to do is look around and you recognize there's things happening now that has never happened before. We get caught up and we think of the advancements of our electronics and gadgetries and, and all the, you know, travel. And, and we look at things and think, man, life is easier now and we have so much conveniences. But with it are coming a lot of problems, moral issues. And we're seeing a, a breakdown in the family. We're seeing a breakdown in churches where things that used to not be permitted, people permit it. They don't even think twice about it. Something's happening in the church, What happening in the world. Jesus said it, the reason, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, he's talking about the love of God, the love of most will grow cold, not the love of some, not the love of many. That would be bad enough. But he said, the love of most will grow cold. He is telling us that in the last days, the majority of his followers will actually fall away from him and lose their devotion to God. Jesus said that's the way it's going to be, and he warns us, just like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, just as it was in the days of Noah, where only eight were saved. He's saying in these last days, it's going to be very risky. In fact, um, the Bible says there will be terrible times. That's in, uh, I believe it's in uh, 2 Timothy. But when he says there will be terrible times, that word terrible literally means risky. Risky means, that, you know, for example, if, if I'm standing right here and I, and I kind of lean like this and I could fall off this platform, would you all think I'm having a big risk? Not really. But if I went to uh, the Garden of the Gods and I stood on one of the top uh, uh, formations without any ropes... And I'm at the edge and I'm going like this. How many of y'all know the risk is even greater now? Because the fall is greater. What he's saying is in the last days, what people, people will not be able to get away with in these last days that they got away in the previous days. It will be that risky for people's souls. And I'm seeing that right now. And Paul is saying, I'm afraid. That that serpent who is so wise, this, this devil who, who had the ability to twist Eve's mind around to make her think that good was evil and that evil was good, that same serpent is doing the same thing. He's making what is good to be evil and what is evil to be good. How could, this, how could Satan be this, this good at tempting people? It's real clear. In, in uh, Ezekiel 28, we won't take time to read it all, but in Ezekiel 28, it describes the creation of Satan. He was an archangel. He was called the anointed cherub. He had, in, he had charge over one-third of the angels. And uh, there was one particular attribute that God created Satan to have that was unique and greater than any other angel. And it tells us in Ezekiel 28, verse 13, is you make, God made him to be beautiful and full of wisdom. 
full of wisdom. And that's his characteristic is he's full of wisdom. You know, if, if, if um, you were to look at Satan, what would you think would be his, his characteristic? You know, if you look at a giraffe, you notice his long neck. A cheetah, it's speed. Right? A, a lion, it's mane and it's teeth. You know, a hippopotamus, it's fatness. Is that, is that not politically correct? But, I mean, there's characteristic. Can I say this? If we were able to paint a character of Satan and what he looked like, he would look not a very strong angel. Matter of fact, someone with a small body, but a big head. Does that give you a better picture? And notice, when you look at him, you recognize he's not really strong, but he's full of wisdom. And he's wiser than any creature God ever made. I want you to know this. He's wiser than any creature God ever made. So there's only one way to defeat Satan. I can't outthink him. I can't outsmart him. I can't outargue him. If you start to argue with Satan, then you're going to lose. What you got to do is say, hey, look, look, uh, Satan, I already know you're smarter than me. And I'm not going to try to bother to debate you. But there's one thing that I know, there's only one being I know smarter than you, and that's God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. So you know what? I'm going to say, if Jesus said this, that's the way it is. I don't care if you tell me it's okay for me to do this. If he says it's not okay, then you know what? It's not okay. I'm not going to argue with, with Satan. And some people spend their time trying to argue moral issues. Well, you know, I just think, you know, some people are born gay and, and, and you know, God accepts them. That's the way God created them. And, and that's the way that, well, but, but the Bible says those who are homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, but, you know, you know it's, it's not, I'm not one of those. I'm a different kind of uh, homosexual, really. See, and all of a sudden you got to argue. And you argue enough, the devil will twist your mind and cause you to fall away from your sincere and pure devotion for, for Christ. He'll do that with marriages. He'll convince people. You have a right to get a divorce. You're not happy. And after all, doesn't God want you happy? How many of y'all have had the devil work on you on that? Doesn't he just want you happy? Can I tell you? No. What? What kind of bishop is coming here telling me God doesn't want me happy? I didn't say God doesn't want you happy, but you make it that happiness is the whole purpose behind why he made you. Can I tell you what God wants you? Not happy. He wants you holy. Thank you for that amen. He wants you holy. But see, the devil will work on our minds to pull us away from our devotion to Christ. And so there's no point to try to argue with, with the devil the best way to do it is, hey, look, Jesus said it this way. And if he said it, see, he'll convince you, well, but, but he didn't really mean that, and here's what it means, and he'll do anything he can to get you away from God. But you got to look and say, no, Jesus said this, and that settles it. And uh, that's what Paul is trying to tell the church to do is quit trying to argue with Satan because he's going to lead your mind astray. And notice that's what he says here in verse 3. He didn't say he's going to lead you astray. But rather he says he's going to lead your mind astray. Now listen, if he leads your mind astray, you go with your mind. As a man thinketh, so is he. But the whole point of using this language, Paul is trying to tell us, that's where Satan is winning the battle. He's going to win it in the mind. If you're going to argue with him with the mind, you'll lose every time. So what you got to do is say, I'm not going to try to battle Satan in my mind. I'm just going to accept what God's word says. But today we're seeing scores of believers who have fallen prey to Satan. We've seen sincere believers. And now notice, I, I, should say, I should point this out. He says, I'm afraid that Satan might lead your mind astray from your pure, your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, one other point before we move on. The, the Corinthian church had a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. See, we normally think 
that the people that Satan leads astray are those who are not sincere. See? So if the person's not sincere, that's why they went into sin. And, 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 and when someone's not really purely devoted to Christ, then he leads them away. But no. He says, I'm afraid he's going to lead you away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the church had a sincerity about them. They had a purity about them. But that did not make them immune to Satan's subtle deceptions. So sometimes we, we can think, because I'm really committed to Christ, I can't fall. But that's not the case. And I've seen sincere believers fallen into adultery, fornication, homosexuality, pedophilia. We see, of course, in the Catholic, Roman Catholic Church, many of its priests fallen into pedophilia. But it doesn't just Catholic priests. It could be Christians who have fallen into molesting children. And our first inclination when, when that happens, oh, that person's the devil from the beginning. In reality, it could be that they are sincere. They have a pure devotion to Christ. But something happened in their mind. Because I cannot believe that a person would live a celibate life. You know what I mean? Live a life where they're not going to make much money being a priest. Who would do this unless there was some hunger and desire to really serve people? And yet, those very people fall into terrible sins. I think here in my church just recently, I had a man who had an anointing on him. He was an incredible singer, a, a great musician. But he was stealing from our church. I don't mean tithes and offerings. Well, he was stealing the tithes and offerings. Not his own, but others. And then one day, I didn't know this was going on, but I was sitting on a Tuesday Bible study, and as I'm sitting there listening to our guest speaker at our church, the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, Louis stealing the church offering right now. I turned to my wife. I said, give me the keys quick, quick. And she said, is everything okay? I said, just give me the keys now. She gave me the keys and I took off. And, you know, you had to have the keys to get back there. And when I got back there, there was Louie stealing the offering. A member of our church. One who's in the band. One that people respected. See, you can look at him and say, he's a devil from the beginning. But you know what? I do believe a person doesn't come up and sing praises to God without having some sincerity. But it doesn't mean that he's immune from having the enemy tell him things to do that are wrong. Yes, even Christians can become thieves if the devil works on their mind long enough. I remember I got a call from a couple in our church. And they said, uh, please, you got to come over here, Pastor. Uh, our daughter Liz is going through a battle with lesbianism. So I rushed down to the house, and there she was. What happened is she was taken captive by this uh, lesbian who's been a lesbian for, you know, a good part of her adult life. And she's trying to drag her into it. Yet this girl had always had attraction to boys. And yet for the first time she's thinking that maybe she isn't straight because this woman was pulling her. And here's a sincere child of God, one who grew up in our church. And I began to minister. And through ministry and the power of the Spirit, we broke free. And just recently she got engaged and she's going to get married shortly. Amen? You see... Anything can happen. And, and I don't look at these people. I don't look at Liz and I don't look at Louie and I think they must, they must have been born with horns in their, coming out of their head. No, I look and think these are real Christians who, who the devil is working on their minds to, to lead them astray into all sorts of behavior. And I'm sure right now in a big group like this, I'm sure there are many Christians who are sincere, but you're having these these inner demons working in you, pulling on you, causing you to act in a way that you know is not befitting a child of God. And yet it's, it's inside of you. You, you, you. Some of you are, drug, are battling drugs and alcohol abuse. You're getting loaded and drunk or taking these drugs. And you're thinking, I know a child of God shouldn't be doing this, but, but it's happening to you.
others going into crime, others abusing their, hus- uh, their, their spouses. One man in our church, I'll call him Fred. Fred was married, uh, but, and, and he had a, a, an anointing on his life. He was one of the best preachers in our church. I can see a minister r- rising up in, in, in our church, but Fred had one problem. He would lose it. He'd get so mad he would beat up on his wife, physically abuse her. And I told Fred, what are you doing this? He goes, I know I shouldn't do this, but something comes over me. I can't help it, and I get mad, and I let it loose. Fred lost his wife. And today, Fred is trying to eke out a meager living, but he should have been a minister of the gospel. But what's his problem? Is, is it because he's not sincere? No. Is it because he didn't have a, 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 a pure devotion for Christ? No. It's because he allowed the enemy to work on his mind, to pull him away from his commitment to Christ. Real people going through, through difficulties. But I don't look at these people and think these are evil men, evil women. No. But just true believers like Eve being led astray. The devil working on their mind to get them to do things that they know sh- they should not be doing. Some have gotten involved in gambling. I remember one lady, she didn't come to my church, but I grew up, uh, we went to uh, a high school together. And when I went to a mental hospital to go pray for one of our, me- uh, not a member, but somebody asked me to pray for one of his, uh, 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 his relatives, when I got there, a little girl, a girl said, Tommy, Tommy! That's what they called me back in those days. But I, and, and, and there she was. And she said, oh, I watch you on TV. I said, what are you doing here? She says, gambling. I lost my mind. I lost all of my wealth. And I couldn't help it. I just couldn't stop going to those places. Again, we could look and, and think this girl is not sincere or she's just addicted. There's a bondage in her life. And I've even seen Christians, are you ready for this, join cults. I wrote a book called The Heaven's Gate Suicide. Became a bestseller at that, at that time when that terrible mass suicide in San Diego took place. The Heaven's Gate cult. And when I did the research, I found out many of those people were going to Christian churches before they joined Apple White and his cult. How could Christians get fooled into joining a a false pseudo-Christian religion. It's real simple. The devil works on people's minds. He can cause us to do the craziest things. And then I've seen Christians who know that the Bible says, forgive your enemies. How many of y'all know it's in there? How many of y'all wish you can erase it? So I wish I didn't have to love my enemies, but I have to, and I have to forgive everyone. That means you have to forgive your mother-in-law too. You have to forgive, are you ready for this? Your ex. Oh, no, no, Bishop, you've gone to meddling. Please don't talk about them. But you have to forgive everyone. And yet I've seen believers get caught up in bitterness. They are so bitter. Every time they mention someone, they can't help but spew their hatred towards someone. What's happening? They're being pulled away from their devotion. But I suppose out of all the things that so typifies what I'm trying to describe, it's divorce. Because when, when two people get married, they're in love, right? I know, because when I do the weddings, there's just love in their, in their eyes, you know. Do you take so-and-so to be your lawfully wedded wife, et cetera, et cetera? I do. And do you take him to be your lawfully I do, yes. And sometimes they'll start kissing before I even give them the, the, uh, the, the privilege of doing so. And they're just so in love. And, and yet... How many people go into the divorce courts? More than 50% of the marriages will end in divorce. It's not because they didn't love their spouse. Something took place to cause them, their love to grow cold to each other. And the same thing can happen with our devotion to God. We can get saved and get so turned on to God, but something happens to cause us to have a spiritual divorce with God. You say you believe in him, but you know you and him are not communicating. You're not really fellowshipping anymore. That divorce. 
I actually had a, a pastor friend, friend Rick. He, he used to give seminars on marriage restoration. In fact, God used Pastor Rick's uh, a ministry to cancel 100,000 divorces. But I'll never forget the call I got. Pastor Rick called me up and said, Pastor, I, I want to let you know first, I'm divorcing my wife. What? What are you doing, Rick? I'm just, not, I'm just not in love with her. She's not the one for me. I found the one that I'm supposed to marry. And there Pastor Rick had this big international ministry to marriage, to, to, to healing marriages, but he couldn't heal his own, and his marriage ended. You can look at Pastor Rick and say he was a hypocrite. No, he had a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. But my point is, if God can do that to Pastor Rick, if he can do it to Louie, if he can do it to Fred, if he can do it to Liz, he can do it to any of us. And that's my point. And don't dare say to yourself, no, it can never happen to me. I would never, ever do that. Because that's pride. And the devil loves when you think that you're immune. That it can happen to you because it can happen to anyone so what do we do now? How many of y'all want the answer? If you're struggling right now with those inner demons, battling your soul, trying to pull you away from God, what do you do? Go to Galatians chapter 6. I'd like to give you the answer. It's right here in the Word of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, brothers... If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, now, now who may be tempted? The spiritual one. Did you see that? So that means even the spiritual ones can be tempted. But notice he says, restore him gently. See, the last thing that you need if you're struggling is a pointing finger from a bishop who says, you're so bad, you're evil, you must not really be really saved. You know, I can't believe that you live that way and, and you're such a hypocrite. How could you do such a thing? No, 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 uh, because that just pushes you away further. What you need is a pastor, a bishop to reach out and say, look, I know what you're going through. I've been there myself. But I also know the answer isn't running from God. The answer is to admit what's going on and to seek the restoration of God. And that's what this church, I think that's one of the, the statements they have. They believe in being restored. This is a church of restoration. That means if we're going to restore people, we have to reach out and not judge them. But at the same time, not simply say, well, you know, boys will be boys and we'll just leave it alone and let's learn to be tolerant towards sin. Do you know God never tells us to be tolerant? Today, that's the new mantra. That's the new morality of the world is they think that the, the greatest virtue anyone could ever have is tolerance. Who's ever been hearing it? We just got to be tolerant, tolerant, tolerant. Really, did you know tolerance is not one of the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah, read Galatians 5. You can't find tolerance as a fruit of the Spirit. You know why? Because God is not tolerant. The Bible says he, God cannot tolerate evil. That's in the Scriptures. No, the answer isn't tolerance. The answer is love. And expressing holiness with the power of God to set people free. And why do you think Jesus has given us the command, in my name you shall drive out demons? Why do we need to drive out demons? Because demons are real. They work on people's lives to torment them and pull them away from God. And that we have the power to cast them out so the people can be free again. And that's why you're here tonight. Because if you're struggling... I'm not here to point my finger and say, shame on you. I'm here to reach out and say, look, I know what you're going through. But if you'll humble yourself before God, it doesn't matter how strong those demons are in your life. They'll be broken. Every bit of it will be broken. You will be set free by the power of God. 
So let, let's look at this passage again. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, can you all say caught? Isn't that a strange way to put someone sinning? He's caught. You know, the, the word caught is the Greek word labano. It actually means a trap. A trap uh, means someone is caught by surprise in what they were doing. When, 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 when you, you go, let's say, hunting for a bear and you're trying to catch one, uh, it catches the bear by surprise. You have to hide the trap. You can't have the trap in full view of the, the bear because the bear's not going to go, go for the trap. You have to hide it in bushes. So what he describes is a believer who's happily committed to Christ, who loves the Lord, who's walking before the Lord, and then boom, they get caught. Now this is important to understand because it's so easy for us to think that a person who sinned who loves the Lord, who's caught into sin, well, it's because there's rebellion in them. And, and they're really not sincere. But yet the Bible describes a different picture. It says they got caught in a sin. Go to James chapter 1. This is going to surprise you. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's look at um, verse 13 James chapter 1 verse 13 it says when tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire so now stop for a moment for there to be a sin there has to be an evil desire for something it could be the desire to get wealth, the desire to have that person that is not your spouse, a desire to have the money that doesn't belong to you, a desire to have that child, a desire to have something wrong. But watch, he doesn't just say that it's evil desire. It, no, there's more than that. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Can you all say dragged away? Now, I want you to get this picture here. Someone being dragged. Now, normally when we think of someone sinning, we don't think of someone being dragged. But the picture here is of someone who doesn't want to sin, and the devil's dragging them, and they're trying to keep from sinning. But the devil just keeps pulling them and dragging them into sin. You get in this picture? See, we all usually think that someone who's sinning they're skipping along the way. I can't wait to sin. But in their heart, they're being pulled. They're being dragged by the enemy. Against even their will. They're wanting holiness, but something else is pulling them away. And he's saying, that's what's happening to this believer. Yes, there's an evil desire. But he's dragged away and he's enticed. So there's an element of demonic powers at work in leading the believer astray when uh, the first passage we looked at paul didn't say i'm afraid that you guys are just backslidden folks and you're just gonna get away from god he says no i'm afraid about the serpent and his work you see are you ready for this eve did not sin without a tempter I want you to get this. She did not sin on her own. It took an outside force, an evil entity, to lead her. And I'm here to tell you, if you've been pulled away by, by sin, and you feel a disconnect with God, and you feel like something's happening into your spiritual life, you're not close to God like you used to be, it's not just you drifting away by yourself. It is the devil who's dragging you, and you don't even know he is dragging you. That's why to get free, you're going to have to break the power of Satan. So one of the symptoms of a person being seduced by Satan is they get ambushed by a sudden onslaught of temptation or trial. It's not that they're intending to do anything wrong, but they just get ambushed and they don't know what to do with it. 
In fact, Galatians 6.1 in the Amplified, it says it this way, Brethren, if any person is overtaken in misconduct or sin of any sort. I like that, overtaken. The picture is they're, they're having an outside force that just grabs them and pulls them. Someone might say to me, well, well, Bishop, it sounds like you're saying the devil made me do it. No, he didn't make you. He led you. He put pressure on you. He was there to drag you. But you still have the power to say no. You still have the power to resist him and make him flee. You still have that power. But I'm trying to tell you it is both Satan's temptation and you not exercising that power. So that means you're still responsible 100% for the sin. But I'm here to tell you, it's not that you sinned alone. It's that the devil pulled you away. That's the difference. So that means for you to get free, you can't simply just decide, oh, I'm going to stop doing that. You have to recognize, I was doing that because there was a hold on me. There was a force greater than I that was pulling me. And until you acknowledge the devil and what he's doing, you're unlikely to really be free. Is this helping anyone? But uh, the devil's subtle. You, you would think that when you have a great spiritual experience with God, you would be off limits to Satan, but just the opposite. When Elijah was used by God to call down fire on the sacrifice... And then he ended up killing all the prophets of Baal. You would think he's invisible. What? How many of y'all would say that is some, that was a, that's a revival. So we think at that moment, when there's a revival, there's going to be no sin whatsoever. On the contrary. We saw it already uh, in one of the great revivals. I, I forgot which, which revival that was taking place. I think it was the one, in, I'm not going to speculate which one. But there was a great revival, and, we, and a lot of people were flocking to the, to the to minister. Which one was it? Yeah, Lakeland, Florida. And then the man leaves his wife. The one who's leading the whole revival. The one that's bringing people to repentance, saving people. He's the one. He leaves his wife. And we look and say, oh, he was a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. No, I preferred to think he was a sincere, devoted follower of Christ. But the devil knew that if I can attack him and bring him down, I can thwart the whole work of God. And Elijah was just like that. After being used mightily of God with it, before the day is up, you know what he's doing? He's sitting underneath a juniper tree saying, Lord, I'm no different than my forefathers. Take my life. What happened? Because one woman, a Jezebel, says, I'm going to have his head, and he loses courage. See, and sometimes we, 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 we think that when we have a deep spiritual experience, we're off limits. Instead, can I say this? When you have a deep spiritual experience, you're not off limits to Satan. He finally found out who you were. He found out now, i got to watch out for this person. He's going to bring me hell. He's going he's to ruin my kingdom. So Satan will often humiliate people who had these great experiences with God with some temptation that drags them down. They'll experience a, a mental bombardment. Another thing is they'll become isolated. They get by themselves. That's what was Elijah's problem. He isolated himself. He didn't realize there were already hundreds of prophets of God. He didn't even know that they even existed. And Elijah said, I'm the only one left. God said, no, no, I have a bunch of prophets. You just don't know them. And I'm going to tell you right now, what Satan would love to do is isolate you from the church and from the people who can help you. And he'll get you to drop out of church. He'll, keep, he'll get you to think like, you know, you don't really need church anymore. I mean, because you're, 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 you've gone past that. You already know all the sermons. You can preach them better than the pastor can. And so, you know, why bother to go? It's the same thing. We're going to sing the same songs. We're going to clap. We're going to stand up. We're going to sit down. We're going to have a cup of coffee afterwards. Shake a few hands. Hand out a few business cards. Hello. It's all the same. I don't need any of that. I'm, I've grown past that. Isolating you. 
because when you get isolated from the body, then you're a real target of Satan. And that's what happened with Elijah. So listen, don't make this mistake. Don't decide to keep the battle a private one. No one's going to know. I'm not going to ask any prayer. It's just going to be between me and God and me and him, the, the big man, we'll work it out. But I'm not going to let that, that exorcist that came down to Colorado Springs pray for me. Who's he? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I, see, all of a sudden the devil begins to work on your mind. Just, you can handle it between you and God, and the truth is you can't. That's why God calls us to be together. And that's why he'll anoint certain people with gifts of healings and others to cast out demons. Why? Because he knows we all need someone's help. And think about it. God brought you into this church tonight. Why? I believe because he knows your heart's desire was to be free. But he knows you're struggling. But this is your moment to be free. Your moment to experience God's glory. Finally, go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. It says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Here's a church that got astray. They moved away from the gospel of grace, got into legalism, got into false teachings. And you wonder, how could they do this? Paul converted them. This is not just any man. He's one of the apostles. And yet, it's not enough that an apostle brought them to Christ. They're now being led astray by false teachers. But you know what he says? Who has bewitched you? Can you all say bewitched? Do you all remember there used to be a television program by the name of Bewitched? With Samantha and Darren. How many of y'all used to watch that? All right. Come on. It's all right. Oh, but it's witchcraft. Listen, we understand that. You used to watch it. And, and, and generally, the, the show revolved around Darren, Samantha's wife, and then usually his mother-in-law. And the mother-in-law, Endora, would get mad and she would cast some spell on Darren. So normally something like that would happen. Well, there was one particular episode that didn't involve Endora, but instead it involved Samantha's father. Who was the father's name? Anybody remember? Yeah, Maurice. <laughs> All right, boys, sometimes we never forget things, huh? <laughs> but Maurice came on the, in the scene, and, and he's trying to talk some sense into Darren, and Darren was being stubborn. He said, I'm not going to listen. And, he, and they were getting, it, getting into a fight, and he was stubborn. And, and Maurice said, you know what? You're as stubborn as a jackass. That's not a cuss word, by the way. That's, a, that's an animal. And, and that's when Maurice said, that's what I'm going to be. You will be a jackass. And boom, he turned into one. Remember that episode? And, and in the episode, Samantha would say, Darren, you, you're going to turn back, and all Darren could say, He wanted to say, I love you. He wanted to act like a man, but he's acting like a jacket. He didn't want to be a jackass. He, he wanted to be changed. He wanted to be a man. He wanted to kiss his wife. He wanted to look like a man, but he looked like a jackass. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I one time looked like a jackass. I know what I'm talking about. The devil was working on my mind so much that I couldn't think straight. And even though I was a man of God, a pastor of a great church, I was having terrible thoughts. Thoughts that were unbiblical and unscriptural. But I, I couldn't find a way to break out of it. My mom looked at me and said, what happened to you, Tom? I don't know. It's just, just leave me alone. My wife, who looked at me as a man of God, what's happening to you? 
She couldn't understand what was taking place. People around me who knew me was wondering, what's happening to the pastor? What's going on? What's happening? Can I tell you? I got bewitched. A real supernatural thing of the enemy hit me. See, that's why I believe that a devil is real, because I've seen him face to face. I've seen his work on my life. And when I talk about that he can work on anyone, I mean anyone. No one excluded. And here my wife would say, Tom, are you okay? What's happening? All I could do is look at my wife and say, Ea, Ea. My, my mother, Tom, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can pray? Ea, Ea. I was a jackass. Anybody been a jackass before? Anyone ever? Anyone a jackass right now? <laughs> I mean, that's what. <laughs> We've been there, and I was there. And I had all these thoughts that were just wrong. I couldn't break free. And then something happened. My mom gathered a church, not my church, but another church, and said, you all know Pastor Tom. Oh, yes, everybody knows him. You need to pray for him. Just pray for him right now. And that church, not knowing who I was, well, they knew who I was, but not part of that church, they began to pray and pray for deliverance. And one day, I'm getting a haircut, and as I'm getting a haircut, the lady cutting my hair, all of a sudden, the blinders that were on my mind fell off. And for the first time, I became a man again after being a jackass for a long time. Anybody been? And, and I remember when, when the blinders came off, I, tears started to stream down my face. And the person cutting my hair, she was a Christian, and she sees the pastor is just sobbing. I'm not, I'm not boo-hooing because she's cutting my hair. I'm not going to have her cut me, but I'm, the tears are streaming down my face as God is freeing me from this witchcraft, this sorcery, this this bondage, you understand, this bewitching. I didn't want to be a jackass, but the enemy knew he had to target me. And I find it interesting, after I got free, God immediately launched me in the deliverance ministry. After I got free, MSNBC called me up and said, uh, we want to come to, to film some deliverance. I'm thinking, Me? And they just called, uh, they said, uh, but why are you calling me? Well, we just saw you on, on the internet. Do you cast out demons? Yes. Can we come? And that began the deliverance ministry. And then ABC and MSNBC and these television networks and BBC and you name it. I, I've got given interviews all over the place. And I look and say, God, why me? Because I think I had to go through something humbling. So that I can have compassion for people who are hurting too. You see, and that's why I look at you. And I just see hurting people. People who just need a touch from God. And that's what I want to offer you. It's just a touch from God. I, I can't deliver you, but God can. But what I am called to do, just like that church that I was not a part of prayed for me, I'm called to pray for you. The pastor's called to pray for you. All of us are called to pray for you. And that's what I want to do right now. Because I don't want anyone to be a jackass today. I want people who came in as a jackass to leave as a man or a woman of God. Saying, God touched me. I got transformed. He set me free from the power of Satan. And that means deliverance will have to take place sometimes. My deliverance wasn't me vomiting pea soup. My head didn't twist around. I didn't levitate. I didn't scream. Deliverance come, come different ways. Sometimes it's softly, and other times there is a battle. Other times people are screaming, gnashing their teeth, fighting. But listen to me. Don't get caught up on the theatrics. Just look at what God wants to do in your life. Because I know God brought you here because this is your moment of freedom and deliverance. If we're going to have the band to come up forward, I'd, I'd appreciate it. So how about it? Is God dealing with you right now that this is your moment of freedom? And you realize that 
that God brought you to this church at this time to hear this message because you could have heard anything else. But deep in your heart, you know there are those inner demons that's battling you. And you could either say, I'm going to handle it on my own, or you're going to get someone to pray for you to get free. And this is your moment to get free by the grace of God. If you're here tonight and you say, Bishop, that's what I want. I do believe that I can be free, and I want to be so free. I don't want the devil to hold me in bondage anymore. I want to be liberated and to be set free by God's grace. Doesn't matter how long you've been at this church or you're a visitor to this church. Doesn't make any difference. I don't care if you're a deacon, a pastor, an associate. It doesn't matter because anyone can be attacked. All you want is to be free. Am I right? That's all you want. So if you're here tonight, you say, Bishop, I'm wanting to be free right now. If that's you, I want you to stand up right now as I, as I offer a word of prayer. God bless you all throughout the sanctuary. God bless you. This is your moment. This is your moment. God is going to set you free. I know it. I know it deep within my soul. You're going to have those bondages broken. This is going to be your freedom. Are you ready? You ready for God to liberate you? If you're really sincere and you want his freedom, I want you to come out of your chair. Meet me here in the front of this platform right now. Come in sincerity. Come right now in the name of Jesus. I believe God is doing something in this congregation. This is just the beginning. Tomorrow night, your pastor, Pastor Derek, is going to give a powerful message about the Father's touch on restoration. Getting back what you once used to have. You lost it. Oh my goodness, it's going to be great. I wish I could be here, but I have to go back to my own church. So the meetings are not ending just because I leave. The Lord is still here. How many of y'all know it's the Lord that does the work? You don't, you don't want to miss it. So I encourage you to come. And who knows, this could be the beginning of a revival here in Colorado Springs. It could spread out. My congregation keeps praying that. They said, Bishop, come on, just have long, week-long meetings. I know you could do it. I said, well, you know, it's a lot of work. And God has to be in it. You just can't make it up. It has to be a move of people being touched. But I could already see genuine people are being genuinely touched by the Lord. And I know many of you raised your hand. You didn't come up to testify, but you got free, didn't you? He did it. Praise God. Pastor Derek. Would you all welcome him back to the platform? Were you blessed? Well, we're going to be a blessing. We're going to receive a love offering and send this brother and his lovely wife uh, home with a blessing from this congregation to sow into their work. Can you say amen to that? And so uh, the Bible says he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And so he has deposited in us the word of the Lord. And not only that, I love what Paul the Apostle said when he said that he didn't come with the enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, that's what real ministry is, is when you see the word preached and the Holy Spirit confirming the word with signs and wonders following. Amen? And so if we could, let's respond to that with generosity. Amen. Father, uh, you can make all your checks payable to Gateway Church, and then we'll make one check out to uh, Tom's uh, ministry. And uh, as, as always, every dime goes to the minister, nothing goes to any of the meetings. So uh, gives, uh, like I say, uh, with a cheerful heart. Father, we thank you for every blessing you bring in our life. And Lord, we ask right now that as we sow this seed, Father, it would be a blessing to the ministry that's been a blessing to us. We pray, Lord, that as we give this seed, that you truly, as your word declares, Father, you'll bring a great harvest into our lives so that we will always have enough to give into every good work in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And so team, just continue to play and love on the Lord while they pass the offering plate. Just bring those up here. I'm going to pray over them. Tomorrow night, when we come back in here and we visit the Father's Touch on Restoration, 
there's a lot of areas of life that God wants to restore to us. When you think about the 23rd Psalm, he restores our soul. And you think about the fact that he restores to us sevenfold what the enemy stolen from our life. He restores what the canker worm and the palmer worm have devoured in our lives. These are the things we're going to visit tomorrow. And the seeds that you've sown is a key to unlocking heaven's blessing in your life when you invest in kingdom work. And so right now, stretch your hands out because these are your offerings. And they're offerings that you've given in response to what God has done in your life. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for every seed sown tonight. And God, I pray for miracles of multiplication in the lives of your saints as they've been faithful just to honor you by honoring the man of God that you've sent us. And Lord, legitimately sent us. I thank you for his spirit. I thank you for his humility. And God, I pray you increase. Increase not only his church, but increase his influence, Lord, on this nation. Where there's a man of God that will proclaim the truth. <laughs> not just the truth, Lord. But grace and truth. Father, as the psalmist said, when mercy and truth meet, they kiss. And Lord, that's what I sense on him. And I pray, God, give him a voice throughout this nation, Lord God, that will boom mercy and truth. And that people could not, not deny the goodness of God. We love you. May every dime of this, Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. There are refreshments at the back. You can have a time of fellowship. Grab a cookie and a cup of coffee.